Welcome to It's All Political on Fifth and Mission. I'm Joe Garofoli, the Chronicle's senior political writer. 37-year-old Shang Tao will be inaugurated Monday as Oakland's new mayor, capping a remarkable journey for the nation's first Hmong mayor of a major city. Ten years ago, Tao was a single mother on public assistance and a domestic violence survivor. Shortly before that, she was homeless, living in her car with a new baby or couch surfing with friends. Few elected officials know what it's like to be homeless. Late last month, I spoke with Tao about how those experiences shaped her and how they may influence her approach to the homeless crisis that's gripping Oakland. The number of homeless people living in Oakland has increased 24% over the past three years to about 5,000 people. Tao's journey begins with her parents, who met in a refugee camp in Thailand during the Vietnam War. They settled in Stockton to start a family, and Tao is the seventh of 10 children. Her family relied on public assistance and public housing. I began my conversation with Oakland Mayor Shang Tao by asking her what perspective she gained from growing up in a refugee household. It's an intimate perspective, as I would call it. Um, you know, growing up, I do recall, you know, my mom didn't know how to drive. And so we would walk everywhere. Public transportation was not available uh, where we lived. And so we would walk to the grocery store. I remember we would walk miles to the laundry mat uh, to wash our clothes and then walk miles back because my dad was always working four to five jobs at a time. And so he was hardly home. My mom didn't know how to drive. Um, it was hard. And, uh, and, and frustrating. I remember being frustrated when I was a lot younger, feeling like I don't understand how, you know, how people are supposed to make it if they didn't have children who can speak English because my mom didn't speak English. And I remember at a young age, you know, whether I was like three or four years old, counting the change at the registrar for my mom. And then growing up in a uh, culturally Hmong, uh, you know, environment at home and then going to school and having to become, you know, Hmong American, it was it was difficult. And, um, you know, in hindsight now, my it was difficult for my parents too, I assume, uh, to try to understand why uh, their kids were <laughs> not following in the cultural norms of the patriarchy or what have you. Yeah, you talked about this. You have, it's a very patriarchal household mm -hmm. and, and you rebelled against this. There's six boys, four girls in the family, and uh, the roles and responsibilities or expectations were very different for each, correct? That's absolutely correct. You know, um, uh, my parents um, or my mother would wake us up, uh, the, uh, the girls, early up in the morning uh, to cook and clean. And I rebelled. <laughs> I'm the only uh, um, girl that rebelled. And I said, no, I'm not going to do that. If my brothers aren't waking up to cook and clean, I will not wake up to cook and clean. So there was many mornings where I was already awake, but I would literally lay in bed just because it was the principle. <laughs> it was the principle behind it. And um, it's not to paint a picture of like, oh, you know, uh, my parents are big into this patriarchy. It was what they know, right? It's what they knew from their home country. And then um, my youngest sister, who has a huge age gap, actually, um, once they had her, they understood that, you know, the world has changed and that uh, it was okay for, you know, for there to be change. And so she actually had a great upbringing uh, with my parents, but we had to learn the lessons together. Right. So you, you left home at 17 after you graduated high school, moved to the East Bay. You moved here alone and you, you, and you, and you got a job at Walgreens and, and you met someone and got into a relationship and that turned uh, volatile and violent. Yes. Um, walk us through what happened there. 
Yeah, I left my um, parents' home at an early age because, um, to be quite honest, the responsibility of being this good uh, Hmong girl in their eyes, what that looked like, that definition, it was getting to become too much. So um, I graduated early in high school and decided that I needed a break from uh, from academics, period. I needed to find out who I was and uh, my identity. And so when I moved out here to the East Bay, I got into my first real relationship. And, you know, with my parents meeting in the refugee camp, they didn't fall in love and get married. They actually were paired up because my mom was a widow. My dad is an orphan. And so the community said, why don't you two get together, build a family together and go into go to the new world and survive, just try to survive together. And so I, I say that to say that, you know, getting into this relationship, not knowing what was a healthy relationship, what wasn't, the abuse, the physical abuse, the emotional abuse did start to begin to happen. You know, I was just trying to figure out why I was doing things, quote unquote, wrong, because that's how he made me feel. Um, but in reality, you know, he was uh, completely uh, controlling and abusive. And um, after being in that relationship for about four years, I became pregnant. You know, I couldn't leave for myself within those four years, but I definitely was going to leave because I didn't want to see my unborn child go through that or see that growing up. And uh, essentially, I left. And by that time, I was cut off from my friends, from my family. And um, I assumed because I was 20 years old at the time, I assumed that my family would never take me back because somehow I chose him over them. And that's how I wound up being homeless. I uh, lived in my car, um, pregnant and um, couch surf then gave birth. And, you know, at the county hospital where I didn't have any visitors, but the nurses, they asked me a couple of times, like, Are, isn't anybody going to come visit you? And I kind of just said, no, you know, it's just myself and my baby. And um, nurses to me have held such a, uh, you know, a, a dear spot in my heart because for the next two weeks after being released, they followed me and they found out where I was, whether I was in my car or couch surfing. They really showed me how to, you know, bathe my son, feed my son, um, you know, the very basics. It really took a community. And basically that's how I became unhoused was because I was escaping a domestic violence relationship. You know, um, when people hear my story, it's not, it does two things, right? It, I think that it's healing for me to be able to talk about it because it's my truth. Uh, and number two, I, I hope that it can help others that are going through the situation, whether right now or previously, that, that there is there is so many more opportunities in life. We've talked about this before, and you, you had a moment where um, you you realized, I, I need to I need to do something. To, I need to get involved. I need to get a, a skill, a trade. So you enrolled in Merritt College, uh, and you're still couch surfing at this at this point, correct? Correct. I was mainly living in my car, and so I had a lot of stuff uh, inside of my car. And yeah, I decided to enroll at Merritt College because I was looking for a trade, um, some vocational training to get in, get out, so I can start supporting my son. By then, I was on social services, and um, I remember driving up to Merritt College just to visit, you know, the institution itself. And looking out from the parking lot, I saw the whole city of Oakland. It was a time where I was probably at one of the lowest points in my life, um, where there was so much loss of hope, you know, and so seeing the whole city, the beauty of it and the expansiveness of it and seeing across the bay into San Francisco, go that in that moment gave me some semblance of hope that you know what 
this doesn't need to be my story. And so to be honest, um, I, I chose Merritt College for that view because it was a constant reminder of hope. And then I went through the paralegal certificate program, but it was through those programs that I had a lot of my instructors who were attorneys themselves. They really pulled me to the side and said, you know, uh, Shang, you have to go further than this. Like you can't just be a paralegal. You have to go to law school. If you're really interested in the study of the law, like you should go to law school and become an attorney. I decided that, yeah, I would, that's what I would do is I would transfer and uh, try to attend law school. I found a whole new love for academia. And so um, at the same time, I found a job. And so I was also creating surveys for students about how to best serve, uh, you know, students at Merritt College so that they can be successful. Um, and I really enjoyed it. I really enjoyed helping people. Um, I've always like volunteered my whole life, even when I was young. It was nice to get back to that. The rebellious Shang, who, you know, who, who um, was like always in these service clubs growing up, that feeling came back and I started finding who I am again, right? Who I was um, before this abusive relationship. And so it started feeling good. And so I continued with it. And, you know, by the time that I graduated from Merritt College, I remember the week before, um, I already got the news that I got accepted to UC Berkeley. Uh, I was receiving a lot of scholarships and, and um, I got a call from the dean saying, you know, congratulations, Shang, but you, uh, you I want to let you know that you are uh, Merritt College's valedictorian. And I'm like, what? <laughs> okay. More with Oakland Mayor Shang Tao after a quick break. When we return, she shares how the culmination of her life experiences has shaped the way she plans to lead Oakland and manage one of its biggest problems, homelessness. We'll be right back. You can support Fifth Emission and the newsroom that creates it by signing up for unlimited access at sfchronicle.com slash pod or by downloading the San Francisco Chronicle app. I'm Joe Garfoli, host of It's All Political on Fifth Emission. Now back to my conversation with Oakland Mayor Shang Tao. When you're at UC Berkeley, uh, you're living in family housing with your young son. You're food insecure. You're not, you don't have enough to eat. That's right. So you started uh, going to uh, ask for donations from places like Cheeseboard Pizza and Smart and Final. Explain a little bit what happened when you when you did that. Yeah, you know, um, we always talk about the different barriers to success. And one of those huge barriers that we always talk about is the starving student. And so, yeah, I got together and I told my friends uh, that I made at UC Berkeley, the other students, and said, you know what? I'm having a hard time feeding my child. And lo, lo and behold, there were so many families that were going through the same situation. And so, yes, we did go. We went to Cheeseboard and asked for their end of the day breads because they make bread and pizza there. And we would get bags and bags of bread. And um, they would say, just come at a certain time and pick it up, you know, and then you can have it. And so thank you so much. Shout out to Cheeseboard in Berkeley. And then not just that, but Smart and Finals would donate uh, gift cards so that folks can go in and uh, buy groceries. And so that's how it all started, the foundation of what is now the Bear Pantry. Um, I remember we would lay out all of the fruits and vegetables. We would get fruits from Whole Foods and Trader Joe's, and um, we would lay it all out in the backyard, close our curtains so that there's no judgment, you know, and people, we would just announce it on our listserv in the university village where all students uh, with dependents live. And uh, we would say, hey, there's food at so-and-so's uh, apartment in the back patio, bring your own bag, 
take as much as you need for your family, no questions asked. And um, from that point, we were able to fight for funding from uh, the UC Regents. And then uh, it was moved to an actual place, Styles Hall at UC Berkeley, where it became the Bear Pantry. It's my understanding that they, it's actually evolved and now any student can go in and actually it's a food pantry for um, all students. And so it, it's amazing. And I remember when UC, uh, UC um, LA flew in from LA <laughs> to ask us students, like, how do we do this? And I remember looking at them confused and saying, well, we went begging for food. <laughs> like, um, it really just started there. Um, you know, but all joking aside, like, uh, it really just shows that it just takes someone to take initiative. Because these are simple things, simple barriers that can be broken down so that people can just have, you know, uh, the basic necessities to succeed. And uh, that's, that's always how I lead is making sure that those, you know, lower hanging fruits that we can take care of those things. Now, as you said, you were set to let go to law school, but <clears throat> as graduation is approaching, you realize that your, your, your son is like, you know, he's growing and he's growing out his clothes so fast, you can't afford clothes for him. So you need a, 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 a decently paying internship. You were recruited uh, through a program that recruited uh, AAPI students uh, to Oakland City Hall and started working for Rebecca Kaplan. And uh, Really, mm -hmm. you, you never left. Uh, uh, <laughs> you, <laughs> and here we That's are. A true story. And here we are. You, that was ten years ago. So I mean, ten years ago, you are yeah. on public assistance. Yeah. And today, you're about to be the mayor of Oakland. It, it's 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 a remarkable story. And now the hard work begins. But arguably, the hardest job in America is being uh, mayor of Oakland. Yeah. Um, for all the reasons that we know, mm -hmm. and uh, and so. How do you translate this lived experience? You have promised to build uh, 30,000 uh, housing units by the end of your second term, if you were reelected. Mm -hmm. uh, cities required to build 26,000 uh, by 2031, so it kind of jives with that. How do you do that? Developers are skittish right now uh, because of the economy. How do you, uh, number one, take care of the folks who are on the street, all the encampments, and number two, build low-income housing? Right. Um... You know, Joe, I, I just want to acknowledge that what you stated is like 10 years ago, I was on social services and then I'm about to be the mayor come next week. <laughs> and, um, you know, now that you've stated just like that, it, it's very emotional for me because you're absolutely right. I mean, that's a, it's, it's, it's like night and day, you know, it's, um, sorry, look, give me a moment. <laughs> it's just, you know, the, the way you said it, it has it, it, the way you presented that, you know, um, it's now just like kind of sinking in like, yeah, the, I have gone through a lot to get to where I'm at. But, you know, the lens was never about me. It's just always fighting for and advocating for those who have the least. And I don't want families to go through what I had to go through. And I know that many other families go through even worse. If somehow we can break down those barriers to make get easier for families to succeed and be able to feed their children and be the best parents that they can be because they're not stressed about all these other basic needs. Like that's where we should start. And so, yes, my son was outgrowing his clothes and I did get an internship because I needed the money. They're paying a thousand bucks. <laughs> and I literally just did it for the money uh, that summer, but it opened up my eyes to something so incredible. Uh, I was an intern for, they matched me with uh, Vice Mayor Rebecca Kaplan's office. And, um, and you're right, I never left. I, after being an intern, I realized that this is the work that I need to do because it's so impactful. We need to make sure that people who have lived life experiences 
are at those decision-making tables because there could be all these other uh, negative consequences that people have not thought about. And so the way that I actually charge myself to lead in the city and as mayor is that I lead through in, uh, the way of making sure that I can bring people together. And that's one of my skill set is being able to bring groups of people and coalitions of people that have usually not worked well together <laughs> to bring them together to understand that, look, if our North Star is Oakland and our North Star is success and making sure that uh, we have clean streets, that we have safe streets, you know, then we know that we are all headed the same direction because that's what we all want. However, we have to do it in a way where we are lifting from the bottom up, right? If we are taking care of our unhoused, for example, right? If we are getting them into temporary housing and then permanent housing, giving them their mental health services they need, getting them, you know, the social services that they need, then we would all be better for it. Then we wouldn't have uh, our unhoused neighbors living in front of storefronts, right? And that would be good for business. Then we wouldn't have to have large encampments at parks because as a single mom living in an apartment, I know that the parks were my front yard and my backyard. But if I saw an encampment there, I would not actually allow for my son as a single mom, go to that park. So then where does my son go? Because we do need those uh, public spaces, right? Families need those public spaces for exercise and what have you. So how do you do that? How do you do that? And, you know, for, how, do you, how do you balance the the, the the need uh, needs of the people living on the street with the with the needs of the people who live in Oakland and uh, you know other other people who live in Oakland the, the housed community and uh, and their and their their desire to, to to as you say use those parks use the streets what I want to do is look at all of our public lands public lands in the city of Oakland including with um you know um the county public lands and OUSD public lands, and really trying to see which parcels are uh, better suited to host RVs, host uh, vehicle parking, host encampments that we can bring in. Pallet shelters can go up quickly, but have a dignified way of living for our unhoused. And then really bringing in our social services from the county. And that's part of it, is that we have to have a stronger partnership with the county to bring in those services. And we have to also realize that Oakland cannot take on the rest of the county's unhoused population either. Not by ourselves. I will not stand for that. Or other cities, other neighboring cities like San Francisco or whatever. I see people who are here in our city of Oakland who are coming from other places. Yes, we are compassionate, but we are not the state. We are not the county. We do not have a public health department. And so we have to be very strategic about, you know, um, understanding who's coming into the city from where. And we have to have a regional approach where all cities in the Bay Area region come together and say, how are we going to solve this together? Because I will not allow for Oakland to be the epicenter and center of receiving unhoused population while other cities are putting up restrictions. Well, what do you do with us? What do you do with us folks? Would you, would there be like a sort of a, a, a residency test, if you will, you know, like uh, if you're from Oakland, you can stay. If not, then, you know, then what, what happens to those folks? I think that this is a conversation that I, uh, that needs to still be had, right? I want to have this regional task force be started with the different cities and there will be protocols that we can all agree upon. I can't um, state to you right now on this line without, you know, having this regional task force, what would happen to people, or, you know, that are coming from other areas. I think the question is more around what 
are we going to demand of those cities who are not taking care of their residents, right? Like, I do not want to continue to uh, charge the poor and the impoverished with the idea that somehow they have a responsibility to figure out you know, affordable housing for themselves. But it's also what is the city, other cities, what are are their leaderships actually working on to ensure that they can help serve their residents? And that's a conversation that we all need to have, you know, and I'm sure that other cities feel the same about Oakland as well, too. And so um, we truly need to have a really frank conversation about how we're going to solve this, because it's not going to happen overnight. I can tell you that. But it needs to start somewhere and it needs to start sooner rather than later. And uh one more thing about affordable housing. How do you, how do you entice uh, development here now at this point where, you know, developers are skittish about building right now and, and their developers are, are never very excited about building affordable housing because there's less money in it for them. How do you, how do you do that? The EIFD, the Enhanced Infrastructure Financing District that um, I was a champion, a co-champion of, uh, of including council member Fife, I want to definitely go through with that. But Essentially, we need matching funds for our nonprofit developers to actually be able to be competitive at the state level for grants. And so that's the piece that we're missing is the matching funds from the city. And so with that being said, with this enhanced infrastructure financing district, I'm looking forward to being able to utilize some of that funding to be the matching funds for our nonprofits to encourage them to build the deeply affordable, affordable and moderate rate housing uh, that we so desperately need. And not just that, but it's my understanding that the federal government, it will also be, um, you know, uh, moving forward with some budget uh, to the state as well too around affordable housing and making sure that we meet our housing goals. And so that's something that uh, I I do pride myself on is uh, making sure that we go out and get the money from outside of Oakland and bring them back to Oakland to ensure that we can, you know, provide this essential basic necessities like housing. I think that it's one of the most important thing about Oakland is our diversity and our vibrancy. And in order to continue to keep our vibrancy and diversity, we must, we must start building effective immediately the deeply affordable housing and, um, and affordable housing because otherwise we're just going to push our residents who've been here for generations out to areas like Stockton and Antioch. And that is not okay because if they want to continue to live here for however more generations, they should be able to. Mm-hmm. Marilek Shengtao, thank you so much uh, for being on It's All Political on Fifth and Mission. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Joe. I really appreciate you. I'd like to thank you all for listening and hope that you and your families are safe and healthy. I'd like to thank Mayor Shang Tao for being on the podcast. For more coverage of Oakland politics and other political reporting, go to sfchronicle.com. I'd like to thank Cecilia Lay and Francesca Fenzi for editing this episode. And remember, no matter who the mayor of Oakland is, it's all political on Fifth and Mission.